Well, good morning, everyone. It's a privilege, again, to join with you and to share this morning. We're continuing our theme on Jesus the One, Jesus the One and Only. And we've considered him as the Lord, as Jesus the Savior, as Christ the Messiah. And today we're thinking about Jesus as King. Jesus is King. Kanye West is uh, an enigmatic and controversial figure. He once claimed to be God. He recently ran for president of America. I think it was perhaps an ironic stunt. But about 18 months ago, after a period of illness, he came to faith and was born again. He became a Christian, a disciple, and a follower of Jesus Christ. And overwhelmed by that experience, that encounter, and that transformation, he wanted to use his remarkable gifts to produce a a movie and an album. And many of you will have heard of it uh, and watched parts of it. It's called Jesus is King. Commenting on the premiere of the movie, he said this, I got teary-eyed. I'm looking at a theater full of people who don't look like me, black, who are paying considerable money to listen to our native sounds and eagerly anticipating an album about the lover of my soul, Jesus. Then he says, as a young black woman looked directly at us singing joy, He said, I felt the weight of four centuries of praying black mothers and grandmothers. They endured the horrors of our history by releasing a song of praise to the only righteous king. We've just had read to us a psalm. And that was a song of praise to the only righteous king. And then we had a second reading from the Gospels where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, lowly, meek, humble, riding on a donkey. And they celebrate and praise the coming of the King. Jesus is the only righteous King. This thought from Kanye West really struck me. He said... This is the beauty of our history and the glory of our future. We must lead the nations to the king with our song. We must lead the nations to the king with our song. Professor Thomas Schreiner says that the theme that holds the whole Bible together is God's kingdom. It is his rule and his reign. And he says this, the goal of God's kingdom is to see the king in his beauty and to be enwrapped in his glory. That's what we want to do. And that's what God wants us to do, to see the king in all his glory and to be enfolded in that glory. I want to make a few points this morning 
as we consider the nature and character of Jesus' kingship. First, his kingship is racial. It's racial. At his birth, the wise men came from the east, possibly China, and they came to Herod. Herod was uh, an Arab descendant, an Arab king. He wasn't Jewish. And they came to him and they said, where is the one born king of the Jews? We've seen his star rise in the east and we've come to worship him, to behold his beauty and to be enfolded in his glory. On Jesus's death plaque, Pilate ordered that these words be carved and placed there above him, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. Jesus, the King of the Jews, and it was to be written in Aramaic and Greek and Latin, all the kind of main languages of the world, as it were. This was a message. This was an event for the world. He's the King of the Jews. At the beginning of his life on earth and at the end of his, of his life, before he rose again, of course, he is seen by Gentiles as the King of the Jews. These Gentiles testified. They saw it. He's the King of the Jews. He's David's seed. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of Zion. He's the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of the Hebrews. There is a particularity to his kingship. Never forget that. Jesus is B-A-M-E. This king of the world is not Western and white. He's Middle Eastern. He's Jewish. And it is to and through the Jews that God's king and God's kingdom, that beauty that we are to behold, that glory that is to enfold us, that joy that is to overflow from us, that song that is to go up from us, it's through the king of the Jews. There is a particularity to it. Just as Queen Victoria was an English woman and the sun never set on her realm, so one day God in Hebrew flesh will sit on Israel's throne and rule the universe. I've often wondered if the ancient and universal hatred of the Jewish people is not actually a projection of that satanic rejection of Jesus, the King of the Jews. The demonic can no longer attack Jesus, but he attacks those in whose image Jesus came, in whose flesh Jesus came. The remarkable former chief rabbi, Lord Sachs, who sadly died prematurely last week, said this in 2019, there is hardly a nation in the world where the Jews do not feel safe, or rather where they do feel safe. There's no nation in the world where they feel safe. One day, in Israel, under their own Messiah and King, they will have peace. You know, according to the ancient rabbis, the moment Adam opened his eyes, the moment there was consciousness, the moment he saw and beheld his creator, God the Father. His first words were, this is what the rabbis teach, the Lord, he's the king forever and ever. 
This has become one of the most important prayers, actually, in Judaism. They pray it all day long through the first day of their new year. They pray it on the Day of Atonement. They pray it on the Sabbath. They pray it in morning prayer. It's also meant to be the prayer that they hear last along with the Shema when they die. What is that prayer? The Lord was the king. The Lord is the king. And the Lord will be king forever. And there is a a knowing and an aching and a longing for that king. And that king, the king of the Jews, is Jesus. And at the moment, not many Jews see there's a veil over their eyes, but one day they will see Jesus, who will rule on David's throne over the universe. Then secondly, Jesus' kingship is universal. The prophet Zechariah saw this. He says in chapter 14, verse 9, the king, he's the king over the whole earth. And on that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name, Jesus. The king over the whole earth. Imagine that. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, is not simply a racial national king whose rule will be limited to 85-mile strip between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. The king of the world. He's the king of the universe. Here in St. Aldate's, in our East End window, right in the center, we have a glorious picture. You can't see it, but you can imagine it. And it's of the risen Lord Jesus. And his feet are firmly planted on a globe over the earth. It's known as Christ Pantocrator. You know, the kings and queens of the United Kingdom, when they are crowned, are handed a bejeweled globe. And on the top of that globe, that golden orb, is a cross. And traditionally, the Archbishop of Canterbury places the orb in the monarch's right hand and says these words. Listen to these. Receive this orb set under the cross. And remember that the whole world is subject to the power and the empire of Christ the Redeemer. What a wonderful thing. The monarch is also given a crown and also given a scepter, symbols of office. But on the top of both are a globe. And the top of that globe is a cross. You see, Christ is the king of the world. And our monarch, our wonderful Queen Elizabeth, she understands this. And in a book that was produced for her 90th birthday, she called herself the Servant Queen. And she spoke of Jesus Christ, whom I serve. He's the king. He's a racial king. He's Jewish. But he is a universal king. He's king over all the world. You know, the Bible ends with a vision of heaven. And there in Revelation chapter 21, the last mention of king, we see all the royals, all the kings of the world coming to the the throne of Jesus in the new Jerusalem and bringing all their splendor, it says, to the king. He's the universal king. 
And then thirdly, Jesus' kingship is humble. Alexander the Great entered India in a grand procession of 200 painted elephants and 200 painted camels and 200 soldiers riding black horses backwards. I have no idea. I've been thinking about it all week. Backwards. And then was, there was his golden throne on an ivory chariot. And there was Alexander. And behind him were 200 tame lions. What pomp! What ceremony! What majesty! Amazing! And heralds went along and, uh, the sides and in front shouting, uh, uh, proclaiming the words, as it were, of Alexander. I am the Lord of the universe. I conquered the world, and now I will conquer the stars. How about that? He really thought he was special. And then he cried. And three, days later, uh, three years later, he died at the age of 32 of malaria. You know, many people throughout the, the centuries have risen up and have wanted to take Christ's throne. They've wanted to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Invariably, they end prematurely in ignominy. Jesus. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, but consider how he came. We heard it in our reading. We know that story well. See the king, meek and humble, riding on a donkey. There are various legends and fables of ancient kings disguising themselves as one of their poor subjects in the, and coming to their kingdom and um, walking amongst the people. It's a trope. We find it in Shakespeare and in Kierkegaard and in Tolkien and so on. But here's the thing. Jesus is not a king in disguise. He is the king. And he's not pretending to be one of us, one among us. He really was and he really did assume human flesh, and was born in a stable. He really entered and owned our lowly existence. Being in very nature God from all eternity. He did not consider equality with God something to be grabbed at. But he humbled himself, and he emptied himself, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Why? To be with us, to reveal God to us, to save us from our sins, and to bring us to glory with him. The Son of God, is, this is unimaginable. How can we grasp this? The Son of God left his eternal glory and entered into our world. He left unapproachable light and stepped into the darkness. And ultimately, at Calvary was steeped in our darkness in order that he might transform it and bring us to the light. The eternal king chose a stable for a nursery and a cross for a throne to be with us, to be one of us, to save us, and to bring us to glory. All these other rulers who set themselves up and sought to be the king of the world, they just wanted your adulation. They were in it for themselves. And here the eternal king of glory comes, and he's in it for us. And because he walked in our shoes and lived in our skin, 
He knows of what we are made. I might talk on this next week. He remembers that we are but dust, and he cares. He cares. I love what the Puritan Richard Sibb said. He shed tears for those that shed his blood. And now he makes intercession in heaven for weak Christians. He is a meek king, and he will admit mourners into his presence. He's a king of the poor and afflicted. What a king. Humble. And then fourthly, his kingship is powerful. Humble, but still powerful. Make no mistake. You know, there are 21 European royal families that are living in exile. There are two dozen more royal European families who are recognized as monarchs in their own country, but exercise no executive power. Of all the European royal houses, only Liechtenstein has any executive power to govern, uh, and they rule over 36,000 people. Jesus is not a figurehead. We've heard that already, beautifully said. He is royalty that rules. He is royalty that has real authority. In the great movie Gladiator, Empress Marcus Aurelius says to his daughter Lucilla, if only you had been a man, what a Caesar you would have been. Then he says, you would have been strong, but would you have been just? In our psalm, we see something of Jesus' character when he's king, how he rules. It says he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with his justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. He has absolute power, but he wields it with love and mercy and tenderness and kindness. This is a kind king and a kind kingdom. The wonderful philosopher Plato, hundreds of years before Jesus, said this, there will be no end of troubles in the state of humanity until political power and wisdom come into the same hands. Politics is always going to be problematic when there are people who have power who exercise it without wisdom. And we know all too well what that looks like. But Jesus has absolute power, and he is the wisdom of God. You know, Paul, I wonder if he knew Plato's words and was quoting them back. He said this, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. When Jesus returns and reigns from the new Jerusalem, his kingship will be marked by power and wisdom and righteousness, and justice. And then finally, his kingship is eternal. The Roman Empire lasted 500 years. Muslim Caliphate lasted 800 years. The Ming Dynasty, the first one, lasted 280 years. The British Empire lasted 250 years. The Ottoman Empire lasted 700 years. Soviet Union lasted 70 years. Nazism promised a thousand-year millennium reign, and it crumbled in infamy in just 12 years. But Christ's kingdom, when he returns, goes on and on and on forever. 
says in 1 Timothy, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus' kingship is eternal, never to be challenged, never again. He reigned in heaven as king for eons before he spoke the world into being, and he will reign beside his father on the throne when time has run into forever. It was our king, Henry VIII, who was as wide as he was tall, but he had, he had nice legs, I guess. He added the ending to the Lord's Prayer. He put it there. It's not in the original Greek. For thine, he was the king, and he knew he was king, but for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, so be it. Only a living king can rule, and so the demonic powers conspired to regicide. They conspired to kill the king. And the incarnation made the immortal son of God vulnerable. A God who is in flesh can die. And Satan sought to kill the king at his birth. Herod slew the innocents, you'll remember. And he sought to kill Jesus by making him jump off the temple. And he sought to kill him by pushing him off the cliff in Nazareth. And I'm sure there were other incidents. But to quote Achilles in the movie Troy, it was too early in the day to kill princes. But in God's mysterious time, Jesus was betrayed and arrested and interrogated and stripped and beaten, and then robed in royal purple with a cruel crown of thorns pressed into his scalp. He was mocked and humiliated, parodied, and yet he was still the high king of heaven. And then from the cross as a throne, the king of heaven bears the sins of the world. And Satan signs his own death warrant in Jesus' blood. Good Friday, the cry went up, the king is dead. And on Easter Sunday, victorious and glorious, the cry goes up, long live the king. One day, the king of kings will return and he will make all things right. The band would like to come up. And with this, I finish. How do we respond to this king? How do we live before and with and to this king? Well, we've got to bow before him. We're going to sing with joy. We're going to surrender our life to him. We're going to celebrate him as king. And we're going to tell others about him. Shakespeare wrote these words, Upon the king. Let us live our lives, our souls, our debts, our careful wives, our children, and our sins. Lay them on the king. Lay them on the king. Look to the king and lay everything on him. Amen. We're going to worship.